Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast. Very glad that you have decided to join us as we continue our discussion of Deuteronomy. Uh, yet again, uh, the official SDA quarterly has not seen it fit to address any content from Deuteronomy, what about 7 through to 30, uh, focusing on on the some interesting ideas, uh, but on chapters that we've already talked about. So we're going to deviate once again and look at uh, something we referred to last week, which is uh, some of the some of the curses in Deuteronomy, because there's a lot of them, and I don't think it would be right to to claim to be running a a study on on this book without at least talking about the curses a little bit. My name is Cameron. Very glad that you are here with us. Ken is not here with us, uh, he, but he'll be joining us again next week. Oh, my name's Luke. I'm back. Hooray! Yeah, it's good to have you, Luke. And I'm Lachlan. We're going to go into Deuteronomy 27 because that's where there's, there is a list of curses and we might we might look at some of those curses and discuss them. Just before we do, I thought I'd pick out some of the highlights from Deuteronomy 26. If you wanted a, a bit of a summary, a very succinct summary of the history of God's interaction with his people, uh, 26 uh, is pretty good, chapter 26 of Deuteronomy. Uh, it's an instruction on what they're meant to do when they first entered the promised land, what they're to do with just the first few years of the crops. And how about this for a, for a very succinct summary? Um, they are to bring an offering to the Lord their God out of, out of some of the first fruits from the land in the first few years. And they are to present it before the Lord and say, A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a nation great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And uh, one of the things they are meant to do is they are to give this tithe to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow so that they may eat of it within their towns and be filled. That's verse 12. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I've removed the sacred portion out of my house, and moreover I've given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandment that you have commanded me. I've not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I've not eaten of the tithe when I was mourning, or removed any of it when I was unclean, or offered any of it to the dead. I've obeyed the voice of the Lord my God. I've done according to all that you have commanded me. Uh, look down from your holy habitation from heaven. Bless your people, Israel. Uh, it's a it's a wonderful passage, and draws a lot on on some of the themes that we have already talked about about uh, social justice and God's picture mm-hmm. of what an ideal society would look like. The thing I love about it immediately yeah. is the connection between the holy portion and giving it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. So you you give to the people in need, and the priesthood, um, the holy portion. And I'm well aware that logic doesn't always work this way, but I think in this case it does. That means that when you give to someone in need, your gift is holy. Hmm. And I really like that idea. And I think we should think about it more often when we when we do things like take stuff to an op shop you know, um, or donate to a charity. You're actually doing something holy. Yeah, I'm struck by the resonance here with the between this and the passage uh, in the New Testament where Jesus says, you know, to those, uh, the, the parable of the sheep and the goats, the separating, and they say, you know, when did we see you and, and clothe you when you were naked and feed you when you were hungry? And Jesus says, well, you did it to me when you did it to the least of these. Um, there's, a, there's an identification there of God identifying with the marginalized and the oppressed. And you hear that right here. The, the, the holy tithe, the, the um, separated amount, sacred portion, which is presumably to give to God, the way that it's given to God is to the Levites, the resident aliens, the orphans and the widows in accordance with your entire commandment. It's a great passage and I'd encourage our, our listeners to read it. We're not going to spend much more time on it. It's got fantastic ideas. Many of the ideas we've we've talked about, and as I said in the intro, we, we haven't really had an episode yet on, on curses. We're going to look at Deuteronomy 27. Before we do, though, uh, 
colloquially, what do people mean when they say they have cursed or they're cursing? I saw that guy and he was he was cussing real bad. <laughs> I mean that that sort of use of the word often relates to you know swear words and coarse language. When you say the word curse, I uh, just just the there are some words in my mind that ring with a with a rhythm or a poetry or something, and the word malediction is one such word in my mind. I love the sound of it. I love the feel of it. Unfortunately, it's not a pleasant word. To pronounce maledictions upon someone is, yeah. of course, to curse them. It's the very opposite of the benediction with which we typically close a... Yeah, yeah. Ble- bless someone or close a worship service. So it's not something that people do very much now. <laughs> no. Uh, we don't curse no. other people so much as just abuse them anonymously on social media. Um, yeah. Which I suppose is the modern version of a curse, if there is such a thing. Well, the modern mm. modern version is to unfriend them, is it, or to, or to? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, well, I think I prefer curses, to be honest. Yeah. Well, there is so there is a difference. There is a difference, and it, so a lot of what we tend to do in our society is just be angry. So to express anger at someone, or to sp- to de- speak derisively of them, you know, you idiot, you imbecile, that. To me, that's not quite the same thing as cursing. That is me pronouncing a value judgment um, from from my perspective. And it's not polite and it's not nice, but it's me saying, you know, I think you're an idiot. A, a curse yeah. is implying that you have powerful backup. Mm. I am going to curse you, meaning I'm going to call in powerful, hopefully supernatural allies of mine to really take the joy out of your life. So so there is a sense in which a curse is one step further because it's calling in yeah. the the strike drones. I, you know, uh, well, cursing... It, uh, it, uh, it, it's one step further, as you say, Locke, but it, it's also a fundamentally different attitude perhaps towards um, justice or injustice in the mm. sense that when you curse, you're not taking responsibility for harming the victim <gasps> yourself... At, you know, as you are when you abuse somebody uh, online, for example, or in person. I, I'm sure that that does happen as well. Um, you know, or behind their back. But it, you know, that, that I think that's the fundamental difference: is the curse is is placing the burden of of um, of implementing justice on a third party. Mm. Right, rather than taking it into your own hands, which is calling on supernatural backup, as it were. But it's also a moral position. You know, it's that moral position okay. of of you know, revenge is not mine to take; it's the Lord's. Which, if I had a better memory, I'm fairly sure there's a Bible verse that's more or less along those lines. We discussed some of those ideas in our very first season on the Psalms, because there's a lot of Psalms that, that yes, are it does ring, it does ring a bell, um, I, and Psalms is very like that. I was reminded of a passage from uh, Three Men in a Boat where the three um, very well-off young men have decided that their health is in a state of crisis and they need a a week on the Thames on a boat. And anyone who's not read it must go and get a copy and read it because it's fantastic. At this moment, the narrator is in charge of the steering and he's um, describing what's happening. They're, They're sailing down the river and in the distance, there's some men fishing on a punt and all is peaceful and the sun's setting and it's wonderful. And um, I'll pick up from, from the 12th chapter, end of the 12th chapter. We seemed like knights of some old legend sailing across some mystic lake into the unknown realm of twilight, into the great land of the sunset. We did not go into the realm of the twilight. We went slap into that punt where those three old men were fishing. We did not know what had happened at first because the sail shut out the view, but from the nature of the language that rose upon the evening air, we gathered that we had come into the neighbourhood of some human beings and that they were vexed and discontented. (laughs) Harris let the sail down, and then we saw what had happened. We had knocked those three old gentlemen off their chairs into a general heap at the bottom of the boat, and they were now slowly and painfully sorting themselves out from each other and picking fish off themselves, and as they worked, they cursed us. Not with common cursory curse, but with a long, carefully thought out, comprehensive curse that embraced the whole of our career and went away into the distant future and included all our relations and covered everything connected with us. Good, substantial curses. (laughs) 
Harris told them that they ought to be grateful for a little excitement sitting there fishing all day, and he also said that he was shocked and grieved to hear men their age give give way to temper so. <laughs> Three Men in a Boat is a very, very good book. Okay. <clears throat> presumably, presumably the curses we, we read of in our chapter of Deuteronomy here is uh, don't fall into the same category because Moses calls everyone together in, in verse 9 or he instructs them to gather together more or less a church service where they itemise, you know, some people who should and will be cursed. I was going to draw attention to exactly the same aspect of it. This is, it's not only that it's a sort of public ceremony and that it's in some ways, like you say, a bit like a, a church uh, service. It's that it's participatory. It's a, it's almost a liturgical mirroring of, of a kind of congregational reading or a, or a liturgical well, and um, y- you can probably guess where I'm about to say, Locke, because you know what conversational readings and liturgical services are, is memorization techniques from pretty literate societies yeah. where most people don't know how to read. Yeah. Yeah, that's and that's true. exactly what it that's is. All, you know, you say it out to the crowd, they all say I meant this is about teaching people the rules or the scripture or the laws or the important information in a way that will help them to remember it. Let's let's read because um, to help everyone catch up with where we're we're seeing it on the page. No one's heard us read it yet. Let's read verses nine to eighteen or thereabouts to to get people into the mood of what we're talking about here. Yeah, well, we may hopefully we'll make it to the end of the chapter, but uh, I think each one of these curses is going to require a fair bit of of conversation. I'll kick us off with verse nine. Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel, this day you have become the people of the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. What's the difference between a commandment and a statute? I think that we're really missing Ken mm. in this conversation. Yes. We, we need a lawyer right. to help us with the legal We'll, we'll phone a friend next week and we'll, we'll ask him that question. Sorry, Locke, you continue. Picking up in verse 11. That same day, Moses also gave this charge to the people. When you cross the Jordan River, the tribes of Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph and Benjamin must stand on Mount Gerizim to proclaim a blessing over the people. And the tribes of Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan and Naphtali must stand on Mount Ebal to proclaim a curse. Then the Levites will shout to all the people of Israel, Cursed is anyone who carves or casts an idol and secretly sets it up. These idols, the work of craftsmen, are detestable to the Lord. And all the people will reply, Amen. Oh, you've given me a lot of curses to read. (laughs) (laughs) I can go through them quickly. Uh, I encourage people to read them uh, in their own time and think about it. Because I have read through them all before we started the podcast. And there is a reason to read them all as a set. Because you want to get to the last one. Because it's uh-huh. it's um, it, it's significant. So, here we go. Cursed is anyone who dishonors their father or mother. Then all the people shall say Amen. I'm gonna I'm gonna omit that line, but it repeats. You you say the curse, and Lachlan and I will say Amen. Oh, all right. Here we go. Ready? <laughs> yes. Cursed is anyone who dishonors their father or mother. Amen. amen. Cursed is anyone who moves their neighbor's boundary stone. Amen. Amen. Cursed is anyone who leads the blind astray on the road. Amen. Amen. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Amen. Amen. Cursed is anyone who sleeps with his father's wife, for he dishonors his father's bed. Amen. Amen. Cursed is anyone who has sexual relations with any animal. Amen. Amen. Cursed is anyone who sleeps with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother. Amen. Amen. Cursed is anyone who sleeps with his mother-in-law. Amen. Amen. Cursed is anyone who kills their neighbor secretly. Amen. Amen. Cursed is anyone who accepts a bribe to kill an innocent person. Amen. Amen. Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. Amen. Yeah. Amen. I can feel a little bit what you were getting at, Luke. The the I feel a little bit as if I may be self-incriminating by amening the <laughs> You know, the, these things all seem like pretty big and bad things to be doing. But then 
anyone who does not affirm and obey the terms of these instructions, you know, we've got these ideas from the New Testament where Jesus kind of says, well, you thought that you were obeying the law by just not murdering someone, but, you know, angry thoughts are pretty much the same thing. Um, well, what yeah, I, anyway. so the reason I said 26 is significant and what, what I'm thinking about is not quite that, uh, although that's a really good and interesting point, looking at this in the light of the New Testament, we maybe uh, will not feel quite so sanctimonious about how easy and obvious all of these sort of things are, because there's, there's nothing there that you would necessarily disagree with very much. Um, but anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out, I think is applying to, let's say, somebody who witnesses a crime and then has an incentive mm. not to report it, for example. They would fall under this last curse. So it's not enough to just not do all of the preceding things. You have to act <clears throat> a role yeah. in society that upholds other people also not doing those things, or if they do them, being appropriately punished yeah, for breaking because, said laws. Yeah, because in verse 26, the others are all things you can't do. But in verse 26, it, mm. says, it says you have to do these things. It's something you have to do, mm. yeah. And I, I think again, you should all, here, you should all he, do this. He confirm this for us, but I think this is a legal principle. You cannot um, witness a crime and not you. You must report it. You know, mm. if if you've been made aware of of certain criminal activities, you have a legal obligation to report. You can't not report it. And I think that's actually what twenty six is. Right. It's 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 the legal right. obligation to make sure. The other laws are being carried out by everyone in the The doing. <clears throat> so it says, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of the, this law by doing them. Mm. So what are we meant to be doing? What we're meant to be doing is the cursing. is to ensure that these people are cursed. Well, that's an interest. Hmm. I wonder how you ensure a curse by doing. Well, this is really uh, interesting because we claim to be... Uh, in fact, the New Testament position is that God's preferred mode of blessing people is through his church. Mm. And we are to be distributors of God's blessings. And we ask that we might share God's blessings with the needy world. That's a sentiment I hear often. But I don't hear it often said that may, may we be agents of your cursing. <laughs> In fact, I would argue so far as to say um, that we're often exhorted not to be. You know, the sort of idea, the sentiment, um, you know, justice is the Lord's. I, I would also argue that on the basis of Christian history for two millennia, I would not trust Christians, by and large, to be the agents of God's curses. I think that the they just have shown far too much propensity to get things slightly wrong. Well, yeah. yes, I, I, not disagreeing with that at all. Um, although I would extend it to humanity in, in general. And, and yet, yep. what choice do we have but to try and implement justice systems of some sort? Um, and it must be noted uh, that Western justice systems are are heavily based on several predominantly christian ideals um not you know you you can certainly make the argument in in many other aspects of our society and culture that they're not they're not necessarily reliant on christianity democracy for example is is not a christian concept uh in in really in, in any meaningful way but a lot of our justice system concepts are like only punishing the guilty never punishing the innocent um innocent un until you know, presumed innocent until found guilty um, is another one. And the very idea of, of redemptive punishment is is really Christian. Um, most, almost all other concepts of punishment are as um, a, a, a deterrent, you know, by being as, as, as horrible as possible um, or as just moral retribution. The idea of punishment as something to uh, reform and redeem someone is is unique at least mm. to, to my knowledge um, so I would not actually you know, certainly as far as many specific instances and periods of history up to and including the modern day um, 
there are certainly many Christians and individual Christians and events that you can point to and say, I, I would not trust Christians with justice. But if you look at the concepts and the overall arc and where we are now compared to where we were, uh, I wouldn't actually be as discouraged on that point as you look. But I think the topic of justice is an interesting one. Okay. What does it mean to curse someone by upholding the words of this law by carrying them out? To me, that reads like cursed in this context means punished according to the law. Mm. You know, and that 26 is saying, you know, you as a society must enact the law. Um, that's what mm. it means to curse someone is they will suffer the punishment under the law that is appropriate for the crime that they've committed. You know, regardless of uh, I'm sneaking social justice into it and I'm reading a bit into it. But this doesn't say if someone's rich and powerful, this doesn't apply to them, does it? You know. Yeah. In fact, mm. elsewhere, elsewhere, we've mentioned their explicit commandments to ensure that you know even foreigners had access to the legal system. Yeah. Well, and so if we read nineteen in that context, nineteen and twenty-six combined in that context as an example means you as a society must curse through punishment under the law. Anyone in your society who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Otherwise, you must be cursed under the law for not carrying it out by your action. So, in that context, I think you you can see cursed as as quite a positive thing for the society. Quite an essential thing. Yeah, that's a a really interesting way of looking at that, that is new to me. That's really fascinating. I was going to draw attention to the fact that there seems to be um, in this somewhat assorted list with some key themes, there does seem to be some that stand out. The Verse 18 stands out to me against things like setting up idols, killing an innocent person, attacking their neighbor in secret. Verse 18, cursed is anyone who leads a blind person astray on the road. <laughs> that seems at face value to be on a different level of civil misdemeanor. Um, it's fascinating that it's that it's lumped in with the same sort of set. And it's very clearly connected with this idea of exploitation. Mm. You know, the person is blind. Um, and uh, we've seen this theme a little bit. Maybe we've been looking for it. Maybe we've been reading it a bit, but it's a good theme. And I think it is fairly resonant throughout a lot of Deuteronomy um you know there's it it doesn't pay to exploit the people less advantaged than you are or at least it it shouldn't pay to exploit mm, the people yes uh, who are yeah. less advantaged than you are i like very much that this sequence and choice of of um laws if we can call them that because what, as I read them, they appear as laws, and verse 26 says as much. Uphold the words of this law. Um, puts leading a blind person astray or withholding justice from a foreigner in the same category as having sexual relations with an animal or mm. dishonoring their parents or um, creating an idol and worshipping it instead of God. Um, I think in... The Adventist context, with some of the things that the Adventist church focuses on culturally, in my opinion, a little bit too much, um, that's a very interesting comparison. Mm. Because what does it mean to withhold justice from a foreigner? Does it mean detaining somebody who's committed no crime in a detention center in an island in a third country for 10 years? I I rather think it does. Mm. And if if we if we don't criticize that, if we don't oppose yeah. it, you know, through our civic duty of voting and and advocacy and other and and, and, and other things, then we are guilty of not upholding verse twenty six, and we are guilty of not upholding verse nineteen, um, mm. and we are doing something which is just as bad as the other things on this list. Yeah, mm. you know. And, and, and it, I, you know, I don't want to criticize others too much. As Christians, 
we can be very picky and choosy about what parts of the Bible we like to focus on and we like to consider important. Um, and I, I think we often get it wrong. And I'm talking about myself as much as anybody else. I think I think I've referred to the um, Rowan Atkinson sketch, have I, where he's, where he's giving a speech at a conservative political party conference, and it's it's a caricature not of sort of central, you know, it, it's far right conservatism, fairly extreme. Uh, it's very racist in a caricatured way that's obviously poking fun at the racism. It's very against young criminals. They've decided to get away. His policy manifest is to get rid of the youth detention centres and replace them with electric chairs. Um, and after going through all these horrific policies, he says, uh, because we must never forget that it is easier for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to... than for a camel to... <laughs> that's that's where he leaves because <laughs> he gets halfway through and he realizes that that passage actually doesn't support rich privileged people so he just abbreviates mm. it at the at the point where it suits him suits him better <laughs> um, so it's, it's easier for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to <laughs> so that's mm. which is um yeah. I thought is, I thought you were going to yeah. mention the Rowan Atkinson sketch um, where he's welcoming people to hell. <laughs> that one's also quite <laughs> relevant here. Uh, skewering hypocrisy uh, of various uh, self-satisfied sort of religious conceits. Yeah. The, the one that jumped out at me was the one about moving his neighbour's landmark. Because this, this seems to be one that's obviously a very cultural, idiomatic thing relevant to that time i don't i don't have landmarks were i to hire an excavator to move my neighbor's fence i think he would notice it's a fairly substantial <laughs> fence uh and anyway there are surveyors around who could very quickly rectify any disagreement about where our boundary lies uh so uh that one curse be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark this is i think referring to you know just gradually moving some can of it's, stones it's, probably it's the it's the theft of land it's the theft of land i wonder i wondered what would be the the best modern parallel for that theft <laughs> yeah but land that's land that's what i read when i look at it it's it's land, theft but i think it certainly specific. includes theft but land land was so much more to the people than its mere monetary value mm. it was their it was their piece of god's blessing it, it, it's also their home and their source of income, so yeah. it, it covers a lot. I mean, which I think in, in pro probably the Israelites' mind, you wouldn't really separate those out. Of course, your home and your source of income is God's blessing. That's how He yeah. blesses you. Um, yeah. So, I mean, what I was thinking yeah. is uh, perhaps curse be anyone who takes credit in the workplace for someone else's work. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know. Or, so you or, think um, I. I wouldn't be anyone. I, I wouldn't presume to pronounce curses upon them, but you do think of the the many influential discoveries, scientific discoveries in which women served a very prominent role and did not get a Nobel Prize. Mm. Yeah. I say. I was I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. So the discovery of the helical structure of DNA, um, a lot of the work was not done by the two men who got the Nobel Prize. Yeah. Uh, so I say, may they be cursed. According, well. <laughs> according to this verse, but that's I obviously don't want to curse them, but I I think that that is perhaps a valid interpretation of this. I'm I'm going to challenge your statement there, Cam. Why don't you want to curse them? You've just said they've done something wrong. Well, yeah, I, by verse twenty six, I have to curse them, don't I? That's the <laughs> that's kind <laughs> of the thing. Well, but if if you consider cursing to mean, and I think it fits with the culture of not seeing a any sort of artificial distinction between the sacred and the practical, mm. if you consider cursing to mean implementing punishment under the law, then we all, in that sense, you know, we're talking about the death of what, what is a curse? What does a curse mean? Well, a, as I'm reading these verses, my best understanding is that a curse means punishment under the law, right? So in that, in that sense, 
we, as participants in a society that has a justice system which punishes people all the time, and we vote for the people who make the laws, we curse people constantly. Well, yes, you're right, Luke. Every action of every court in Australia, all of us voting citizens are a little bit a participant in the cursing of those people, Mm. in the punishment Uh, of those people. We definitely need Ken. I'll, I'll be, we need to raise this. He's going to be annoyed he missed this one. If, if I can jump to the defense of my fellow scientists, or at least I wish that I could be in the same category as Nobel winning um, scientists, the, they didn't award the Nobel Prize to themselves. This is, this is true. So, the, and, the, and I'm being flippant by saying that, but what I'm, what I'm getting at is there is a sense in which sometimes when wrong has been done, we've talked about this in the context of social justice, wrong has been done, like you've identified, Cam, historically, but who was to blame? Um, yeah. Were the scientists themselves to blame, perhaps in part, perhaps they minimised by subconscious bias or by conscious um, malignancy, they, they m- minimised the involvement of some other people, perhaps. But there were committees who were selecting prize winners. They were also subject to biases, to cultural norms, to various things that were restricting them. I think it becomes actually quite profound. Um, As we do exactly what you're saying, we look at these situations that in Deuteronomy 27 are called called, uh, to require curses. Um, And then we sort of say, okay, but what's at the heart of what is actually being identified there. Uh, And this is why I made the comment about being slightly uncomfortable at verse 26, because I think in all honesty, although I think it's fairly easy for most of us us to say, look, I've just never killed a neighbor in secret, you know, um, and I've done it you, openly you... plenty of times, but not in secret. <laughs> well, Luke, lots of, <laughs> lots of people did do it openly. If, if your neighbor had murdered your brother you're entitled to yes, do it the openly. retributive justice I, I, exactly yeah. um, but the, the fact it was done openly <coughs> was a sign that you you were not morally in the wrong yes yeah mm. um but but so if, if, if i could well you you go first because i want to jump back to the the train of thought i was just on because yeah. i think there's more there i i think so i wanted to say um that I really like where you're taking it and reading the curses as being this kind of obligation for upholding um, sort of civil structures and the law, the curses being connected to punishment. But Luke, there's a couple of verses over in Deuteronomy 28 that we might have to turn to just briefly because there is something uncomfortable here in Deuteronomy about the, the activity of God in the event of some of these cursings. Um, so it's, it's not to I, I see what, undermine I see what you're or, getting at. <laughs> just reading or the to, to detract fully from, from where you're going, but we, we should at least give us a taste lock, give us face up to them just a little, ah, well, here's a taste. So, um, if you refuse to listen to the Lord, your God, then the, all these curses will come and overwhelm you. And then it talks about, uh, I'm picking here verse 20, uh, Deuteronomy 28 verses 15 and onwards. Um, the curses will come to your fields and your fruit baskets and your breadboards. But then, verse 20, the Lord himself will send on you curses, confusion and frustration in everything you do until at last you are completely destroyed for doing evil and abandoning me. The Lord will afflict you with diseases until none of you are left in the land you are about to enter and occupy. The Lord will strike you with wasting diseases, fever and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought and with blight and mildew. Um... These these are pretty vivid <laughs> curses. I think that what we should do is we should start a campaign to 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 get some of these cursings to be returned to oh, the normal oh vocabulary it, on it social gets, media. It's really specific later <laughs> on. Um, these are worse than I, YouTube I comments. Well, some yeah. Uh, there's a there is definitely think, a kinship. Do you think that Moses them. wrote them in all caps with an emoji? All caps. Yeah, um, the Lord will afflict you with the with the boils of Egypt and with tumors, scurvy, and the itch from which you cannot but, be cured. Look, so, some of them, <laughs> and this ties into you know a lot of the discussions we've had about the history of Israel and collective justice. Mm. Um, some of them have 
historical evidence that this did indeed occur because the Israelites strayed from the moral <clears throat> path. Like the Lord will drive you and the king you you set over you to a nation unknown to you or your ancestors. There you will worship other yes. gods, gods of wood and stone. You'll, you know, so and Babylon. Um, yeah. But so, yes, that that is, of course, the, the wrinkle in all of these things for us and everything I was talking about with the curses being sort of justice and the, you know, the implementation by peers of the law. Mm. That's a very modern way of thinking about it. And the Israelites, obviously, maybe that was... I, I, I maintain that was a part of it, but the Israelites obviously mm. see the cursing as much more significant than that in a way that we would well, call supernatural. I'm going to um, revive a comment mm. from, from Ken from a few weeks ago where he observed that there are many times in various endeavours, in health science or in other areas, where we have, we have fixated on, on a particular behaviour, which is efficacious, and advocated for that behaviour on the basis of some particular um, causal chain, mm. and um, and it's since been shown that the causal chain was wrong, but the but the actual behaviour yeah. was good, uh, doing the right thing but for the wrong reason. The the doctor who oh. first advocated for washing hands uh, had no concept of mm. germs. He had a sort of a logical chain of reasoning that sort of half worked, and no one believed him, and he died in a mental asylum. But the mechanism he thought explained the efficacy of washing hands if you worked in a hospital was wrong, but the actual behaviour was good. Uh, and in mm. in here, in here maybe, like what I'm trying to say is, um, as has been shown in the last few years, having pandemics and diseases floating through is the normal state of affairs. Mm. Yeah. So, so maybe... Maybe what was happening was that God had promised to protect to some degree his people, but that if they left him, he was going to stop protecting them and then the normal state of affairs would happen. Uh, political instability is the normal state of affairs. Being overtaken by a foreign nation, of course. Um, that yeah. doesn't seem to require a Especially... lot of active... Now, I know that's not what it says here. It says God will do it. Uh, so, well, well, doing it through inaction is the same as doing it through action. Yeah, but also remember the backdrop here. So God is through at least the the author of Deuteronomy is very clear that God has engaged supernaturally with the world to form to cause the Exodus, the the Israelites to leave Egypt. God is giving them a land, and we have already explored a number of the difficult tensions that we have as as contemporary readers looking back at these texts and trying to understand some of, you know, what looks very clearly to be light genocide, as we've called it in the past. Um, so against the backdrop of God supernaturally pulling them out of Egypt and giving them a land, the, the consequences of their rejection of God are, are basically undoing the very tangible blessings that they're perceiving of God. And of course, we've skipped over the first bit of Deuteronomy 28, blessings for obedience, because our theme for this episode is curses. That's why we, we're we gravitating towards these, you know, a little bit more off-putting kind of verses. But I think very clearly, in an exaggerated way, what's really being said here is if you reject God as a leader and you reject God's way and you refuse to walk with God in this process, then you can't really expect to continue... Um, receiving and enjoying the the blessings of God's way of living. And the other comment that I wanted to make is, and this again is is me trying to come to terms with this from a modern perspective, there's some sense in which what we're, what is being talked about here as curses from God are kind of just consequences. Um, well, you you, you know, take what, the word is, just what are, out it's, Curses from yeah, God are consequences yeah. of bad choices. Because it's, yeah, it's health... And it's land and it's leadership. That seems to me a summary of the curses over, over here. There's, there's the fever, the wasting diseases, the inflammation, the itch, which cannot be cured. Um, that, that particularly horrifies me, by the way. Well, an incurable what that makes itch. me think of is um, <laughs> STDs. Yeah, I was thinking the same. A full half of the nearly of the activities to be cursed or leading to curses that you read out, Luke, related to... Um, sexual morality and i was thinking the exact same thing here there's there's 
a certain sense in which there's sort of natural consequences arising from some of those behaviors then there's the whole idea about your land being defeated and your and and uh, you know um being it's very interesting down um verse 38 you'll plant much but harvest little you'll plant vineyards and care for them but you'll not drink the wine you'll grow olive trees but will never use the oil uh, there's this there's this kind of poetry to it but at the same time that's the sort of consequence that comes about if you're a society that starts to disrespect the 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 land that your neighbor owns and you start to move the boundary post to try and mm. cheat and steal land and that starts the fights that then lead to the murders that lead to the you know sort of outcomes so i'm not i'm not willing to say that this is only speaking in terms of of autumn of sort of natural consequence but i do think that some of what is being ascribed to god's supernatural invention intervention here may well have appeared that way or been best expressed that way to the author of deuteronomy um and it could well be stuff that we would we would see and break down slightly differently Look, a couple of thoughts occur to me. Um, one of them is uh, that the people at the time who first heard this didn't dispute God's right to impose curses. They accepted this. This is mm. read to the people and then the people accept it and they say, yes, yep, we're happy to operate under these terms. So um, that's, that's a lens that we have to... Ad- we're reading other people's mail and... Uh, we have to remember that whatever is said here, the mode of its delivery is is something that resonates with the people. It could be, and we don't know, um, but it could be that, you know, an ancient Israelite might have said, be careful near cliff edges, because if you fall off the cliff, the Lord will bring on you many broken bones. Yeah, yeah. Like, we, <laughs> we don't know exactly, in some cases, how clear they were about what natural consequences were and how willing they were to ascribe those to God Inasmuch as he's the creator of everything, and he's decided the terms on mm. which the universe will run, and so in a very legitimate sense, natural consequences mm. are imposed by him. Um, yeah. So I, I don't that doesn't solve any of the problems necessarily, but it it is, and I think an important perspective. Next next thing I wanted to say was uh, that if we take this idea that some of these curses are the removal of God's blessing. Let's let's take the, the, that idea back to chapter 27. Uh, mm. So what happens if we, instead of saying cursed, let's replace that with uh, make sure it's your job that these people are not blessed. Because mm-hmm. we referred mm. previously um, to, I think, the one about uh, cursed be anyone who misleads a... Bl- uh, no, who moves his neighbour's landmark. Mm. And um, the natural tendency is for those sorts of people to be blessed. Like... Yes. You get ahead in the world by being a go get them, stick up for your own rights, tread on other people sort of person. And and our job is to ensure, okay, so let's maybe not curse them. But let's ensure that those people are not blessed. So it's it's naturally the way that people who um, claim results off other people, uh, be it in science or anywhere else, um, you know, who, who claim responsibility for work that was not theirs um, in the workplace mm. or, you know, managers who claim, you know, great things when the hard work's been done by the people underneath them. Um, that Those people naturally will tend to float to the top and get ahead in life. All right, well, your job is to ensure that they are not blessed, that those people are not blessed. Design a system where, where those people, as much as possible, don't succeed. Mm. Create, a, create a construct in which... There are clear expectations of the people awarding the Nobel Prize, where there are clear expectations of people in leadership um, to attribute success where success is due, uh, where there are clear expectations to people hiring for a position not to discriminate against the sojourner, um, against women, uh, against you know any other form of discrimination you, you might want to, to name. Um, if you're uncomfortable with cursing, people who pervert the course of justice or people who are sexually immoral or people who strike down someone in secret or who conduct petty theft or dishonor their father and mother, all right, well, maybe you're uncomfortable with cursing them, but at least work hard to create a society where those people aren't blessed. Well, 
Cam, I, I would I would argue um, that that creating a society where those people aren't blessed is in the action a way of cursing them. In other words, don't curse them with words, curse them with actions. Um, mm. And I think that that comes back to verse twenty six, which if you can't tell everyone, I really like verse twenty six um, of Deuteronomy twenty seven. <laughs> There's a lot of interesting questions about this verse and how to read it in the Israelite context. And I think, Cam, it's a very good point you make that, you know, they they didn't have a scientific concept of nature. Nature is a scientific construct. So, of course, for them, there's no distinction between natural and supernatural. They would, If we tried yeah. to describe those terms to ancient Israelites, I don't think they'd know. I think they'd think we were, we were a bit gone in the head. Um you know, they'd think because, we were dangerous pagans. That's what they'd think. Well, they, they'd certainly think that. But I think, you know, as, as with all things in the Bible, as a guide to behavior and action, it is a use is always a useful way to try and read verses. Um, and and if you read these verses in this context, I think what you say about creating a society where where people who do this sort of thing are not blessed is the thrust of this verse because it's what you're what we're reading here is definitely a civic duty otherwise why would they mm. have an, a, a big occasion where they all get up on a hill and the priests shout out these things and all the people participate in affirming these curses as as a, as a way of teaching and remembering but also as as a as a way of as a society emphasizing the value and the importance of mm. these curse, you know, cur curse to us is an uncomfortable term. But if we look at it yes. in that context, if we look at it in the context of implementing justice, of being a just society and making sure the people who do bad things are, are punished appropriately and people who do good things are, are rewarded, um, then it makes a lot more sense. So I was trying to think of other possible modern equivalents of these curses and i wonder if jury duty for example is is maybe the most sort of direct equivalent i talked about voting and there's a little interesting side note i want to i want to explain on why i went on that train of thought because i don't know that uh, it would be particularly easy to follow but jury duty is a very direct comparison because jury duty is a civic duty where it's your job to go and decide if someone is going to be punished or not because they've been found guilty of something. If you're talking about carrying out the words of this law, so cursing by action, as opposed to cursing by word, which is the way we, we, we tend to automatically assume it means, cursing by action, then jury duty is precisely what you're doing in a modern justice system, is cursing somebody to punishment. Hmm. Um, but the, re the reason I, I made that connection is because this is an interesting little bit of a side note. Um, G.K. Chesterton, uh, we, of course, you know, very famous Christian author, very famous uh, Catholic and wonderful author, many incredible insights into Christian morality and um, spirituality and, and, and justice. Um, but he was, at least at one point, publicly opposed to allowing women the vote, um, which from our perspective is, is not a, a particularly admirable uh, mark against his name but his objection was a moral one and it's very interesting um, his objection was that at the time the UK had the death penalty and voters were morally responsible for the actions of their government because they chose the government and therefore voters every voter in their own you know had a small portion of the moral responsibility to kill people uh, on behalf of the state who had committed certain crimes. And he didn't believe that women should be morally responsible for killing another human being. Now, <laughs> I don't agree. I, I want to be quite clear here. I don't agree with him about that, you know, particular distinction of women. Uh, but also we live in a country where the death penalty is abolished for reasons that he would support. Um, and I, I think I think he is right about the moral the moral connection that that voters in a democracy have with the actions of their government. Um, 
and it ties kind of nicely also into the collective into the collective justice thing in that well you can say i didn't vote for this government they don't represent me and that may be true but did 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 i fight as hard as i possibly could to prevent yeah this government coming to power? Did I fight as mm. hard as I possibly could to prevent this government from taking actions that I disagree with? How strongly have I fought within our political system to uphold the standards of justice that I believe in? And I make a personal confession. You may have gathered from other comments on this podcast that I'm very much opposed to the incarceration of, of refugees who haven't committed any crime um, without trial, without guilt, um, and without an end term, without an end date, indefinite mm. incarceration. It's, it's morally repugnant, right? I haven't been calling my MP every day and telling them this. Mm. And honestly, I should, because I am morally responsible for the actions of my government. And I think that's what Deuteronomy 27 is. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great thought on which to end, Luke, and a challenge to myself personally as well and uh, hopefully to our listeners also and uh, once again uh, we're we're pushing i had thought we might squeeze in a, a, a tighter episode today given that we were talking about curses i thought that might not keep us going for as long as some of the other sections but i was wrong and uh, <laughs> and the natural consequence of this is that i'll be involved in a longer edit whether or not that constitutes a curse i leave to the um, <laughs> to the to, to uh, the the opinion of our listeners, as always, feel free to contact us uh, at the address uh, sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening and uh, share this podcast with anyone you feel would enjoy it or benefit. And please join us again next week.